Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Dual Shockers Whipcast. I'm your host, Giuseppe Nelva, and today we'll talk about the cool factor of Japanese games. Are they cool? And if yes, why? Before we get into our main topic, if you're unfamiliar with the Whipcast, this is Dual Shockers Weekly Podcast, in which we talk about Japanese games, anime, manga, Japanese geek culture, and more. Of course, the accent is going to be on games. We're a gaming site, but the distinction is rarely cut and dry. We had a week of hiatus because of personal reasons and ton of work and stuff happening to that prevented me from doing an episode last week. Now we're back. Uh, normally, I would start by talking about Japanese games and anime that I've been playing last week. But I literally didn't have time for anime at all. Uh, so it's been only games. In particular, there have been one game, one big game, has been taking almost all of my free time, and that's Dragon Quest XI, that I've been playing for my review. Of course, I cannot tell you anything about it, not even a little bit, because uh, the review is an embargo, so that's all you're going to hear about it so far. Uh, just wait and see. Uh, beyond that, uh, I've been playing a bit of the Valkyria Chronicles 4 demo, which is absolutely fantastic. It's out on the North American and European PlayStation Store, in English on the Xbox Store, and also on the uh, Nintendo eShop. So whichever platform is you want it on, uh, unfortunately, the only version that does not have a demo is the PC version. So other than that, whatever platform you want to get the game on, you should get the demo because not only um, they save data transfer to the full game, so you can grind the first few mission, the first couple of chapters over and over as much as you want and level up your characters, uh, your soldiers, uh, you can also unlock a special accessory for the final game and it will transfer. So do choose the same platform that you plan to plan the game to play the game on when you get it uh, i've also been playing the um a bit of grand blue fantasy on and off mostly because they have some uh, free uh draws due to the summer event and they love live crossover event which is pretty cool and as a quite a bit quite a few free buys when we're gonna talk more about it in the news at the end of the podcast. So that's pretty much all I had a chance to play besides some Insurgency and some Sunstorm, but that's definitely not a Japanese game. That's a Western super hardcore FPS in which I really suck as usual. Uh, if you want to watch me suck, just check out the gameplay on Dual Shockers uh, because it's funny, <laughs> you know. Other than that, let's get into our main topic. So are Japanese games cool? Uh, that is a question that will get a different answer depending on who you talk to some and people are very polarized about that normally either people love japanese games or absolutely hate them or even if they don't hate them they think they are some sort of obscure stuff that they don't really want to get involved to but people that love them really do love them and especially lately Japanese games have become more and more cool. Uh, we had a bit of a U curve uh, in the popularity of Japanese games. Back in the PS1, PS2, beginning of PS3, but not much, mostly PS1 and PS2, and before, so uh, NES and SNES and uh, Dreamcast and all those earlier consoles during those years japanese games were definitely all the rage they were definitely super cool and they were among the most popular games now with the ps3 generation the xbox 360 generation uh finally the playstation kind of ignored japanese games especially at the beginning while microsoft tried to cater to japan the japanese public by releasing some xbox exclusives on xbox 360 this maybe kind of contributed a bit to the decline of japanese games because of course japanese was less popular on xbox platforms so with the fact that a lot of these games got released only on xbox 360 they while they were missing on playstation it was kind of created a strange situation but that was just the tip of the iceberg it was more a matter of literally 
the Japanese industry kind of missing the train on the new technology or the new consoles and remaining like behind compared to the West. Also, um, jumping late into the idea of using popular engines like uh, Unreal Engine, um, there were many factors that contributed to the Japanese gaming industry falling behind the Western gaming industry, uh, the effect of which are still visible today, even if nowadays, especially with the PS4 generation, and as we go further in the generation, um, we see more and more Japanese games that are very successful worldwide. Uh, we see the Persona series. Persona 5 has been super successful. Uh, we see the Yakuza series has been very successful as well with uh, the launch of uh, Yakuza 0, Yakuza Kiwami. Uh, so the the series that before was kind of obscure, uh, Sega managed to like uh, pull the right marketing string uh, to make it become finally popular in the West as well as it is in Japan. Then there is Nier Automata. Then there is there was been a ton of Japanese games like all like for a year or two years or so. Uh, Niho uh, that have pretty much done not a one-two punch, but a one-two-three-four-five-six-seven-eight and so forth punches. That pretty much made Japanese games cool again among a wider audience. I'm not saying that they weren't cool among their fans before, but they were kind of a lot more niche than they are now. Nowadays, Square Enix is again a name that is on the lips of many. Uh, before it was kind of uh, just Final Fantasy fans. Uh, I mean, we are lo- we are looking at the release of a Dragon Quest game really soon, which is, <laughs> and, and and that's just one year after it came to Japan. That's uh, that's really and on on PS4 and PC. That pretty before it was kind of something that relegated to handles. Um, so we are looking at a lot of quality Japanese games coming west, and the people actually paying attention. Them. Uh, Not everyone does, but a lot more people than before. So, definitely, the Japanese Japanese games are getting cooler again. They're becoming cool again. And this is because uh, there are various reasons behind them, and they are identifiable behind behind this resurgence, of course. We had a a dedicated dedicated episode about that, Uh, so I'm not not going to repeat everything, but uh, a kind of a planet aligned a bit and so we got quality aligned with good marketing aligned with um quirkiness and originality so they all aligned the perfect way that made this resurgence of japanese games possible but are they cool just yet among a wider audience like actually really cool maybe a little less than like the super mainstream um western games so of course we won't see a japanese games that makes as much money as a call of duty but they are definitely a good investment for japanese companies to bring west uh and we've seen more and more western developers actually imitating japanese games how many times you see a smaller Western developer that wants to make a JRPG? Of course, it's not a JRPG, because a JRPG is an RPG made in Japan, and those are not made in Japan, but they call it JRPG because they inspired, they get inspired by the style of a JRPGs or visual novels also. Uh, so yeah, Japanese games are cool, or at least they are cooler than they used to be before. So what makes them cool? Um, well, a lot of factors. Uh, the one factor that is very important and that many people often uh, neglect or uh, fail to notice is uh, exoticism. Japanese games are exotic. They 
have a charm because they come from a society that is completely different than ours. It is based in a completely different culture and uh, brings completely different value to the table. To the table. Uh, what you see in a Japanese game so normally, you will, not, you will not find on a Western game. Um, you will not notice... Uh, the quirkiness of Hideo Kojima in most Western games. You will not have a super over-the-top um, super moves that you can see in anime and manga and Japanese games in Western games. Uh, you will not see the same tropes. And people say that Japanese games are full of tropes. But that is true of any game really like western games are full of western tropes uh japanese games are normally very much influenced by japanese tropes uh it's normal we just notice the japanese tropes more because they are different uh we notice the western tropes less because they are more akin to what we see in real life every day or uh what we are used to uh which is why most like aficionados of Japanese games tend to have more tolerance due to the Japanese tropes because they are more used to them. Uh, in any case, uh, many Japanese tropes give Japanese games an aura or of ex an exotic aura. Uh, Japan itself is an exotic country. Uh, if you think about uh, Japan as a country, it's super popular as a vacation spot. People want to go to Japan because they want to uh, visit Japan and they want to get in touch with the Japanese culture. They want to uh, go to a place that is different from their homeland, from their country. Uh, you don't normally go to, unless you like the kind of totally like uh, escapism kind of vacation, you try not to go to a place that... Um, is exactly the same as your country for your vacation, right? And games are kind of a vacation in their own. Games are a vacation from reality. They are escapism. They, so you would like to look for, many would like to look for a kind of game that put them in touch with a culture that is not exactly the same as the one we uh, experience when we got walk out of our door every day. If you want to have a walking simulator in our city, we can just open the door, walk out, and walk around in our city. You know, that's simply how it is. If we actually look at fantasy, for instance, that is another exotic element because fantasy, a fantasy game, put puts us in uh, exposes us to a different culture of a fantasy world that is completely different from the one we are used to and fantasy japanese games are even further from what you're used to because a fantasy a japanese fantasy game not only is fantasy but it's a japanese fantasy so it's a fantasy influenced by a culture different from ours if you look at western high fantasy uh, it's still fantasy, but it's influenced by our own Western culture, so it's closer to what we are used to. While Japanese fantasy is not only fantasy, not only there can be elves, there can be like dragons and stuff, but it's also strongly influenced by a different culture, so it's even more, even further from what we're used to. The same can be said by, from for science fiction. Western science fiction is influenced by western uh western media western uh, culture uh western ways of life so it's closer to what we experience every day it's a bit less science fictionish than japanese science fiction which normally is so far away from our uh from our everyday because it's influenced by a completely different culture like just to make an example western science fiction prominent western science fiction is based you see starships as the main vehicle for interstellar travel or battle or whatever because it's closer to what the idea of a 
vehicle, a, a science fiction and a fantastic vehicle uh, Western culture is used to. Like, our idea of uh, a space vehicle was born with Jules Verne, or that kind of odors that uh, created the ancestors of a starship. On the other hand, if you look at Japanese science fiction, we see more exotic elements. We see giant robots, for instance. Uh, sometimes science fiction, uh, Japanese science fiction, is based on... Uh, it's much closer sometimes to our own time. Like you see Japanese science fiction set in our time, in like 10 years from now, five years from now. And it still looks more exotic because you have giant robots going all over the place. <laughs> so, and so there is this element of exotic that makes Japanese media and Japanese games in general very cool to those people that search for a different experience. Of course, not everyone searches for a different experience. A lot of people just search for the familiar, uh, for not just the familiar, but a slightly different familiar. Like, for instance, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is a mix of familiar and uh, different, but it's still recognizable enough to be um, to be comfortable. While people that look for something really different tend to gravitate towards Japanese science fiction because Japanese science fiction is so it's detached from our everyday in two different levels. Not only in uh, time, so the 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 game is not just set in a different era, but it's also detached in terms of culture, in terms of tropes, in terms of images, in terms of um in terms of technology or or the idea of technology. Like you you have giant robots. Giant robots are is the prime trope of uh, Japanese science fiction. And you don't see that much in Western science fiction. Western science fiction is completely different. Western science fiction is much more based on uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. And uh, this kind of like more realistic in a way, but closer to what we have. So the idea of exotic is very important in what makes a Japanese game cool. Uh, this is not just limited, though, to... Uh, to like science fiction or fantasy, so to elements that are completely detached from our reality. The Japanese games and uh, especially like visual novels and um, they, but not just visual novels, even RPGs and many others, they have they they have this element of slice of lives that you would say it's not really exotic. It's actually close to reality, but it's not close to reality in the US or in Europe. It's close to reality in Japan that is still very exotic. Like, just to bring an example, uh, Kadokawa Games' um, Root Letter. That was a visual novel that came out for PS Vita and PS4 a couple of years ago. Um, and it sold pretty well for a very niche visual novel, and people that played it liked it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot, and I know a lot of people liked it. Of course, not everyone loved it, because no game appeals to everyone, but I I have heard a lot more positive um, feedback about it than negative feedback. Why is that so? Because Root Letter doesn't, didn't just have a very interesting and intriguing mystery story, uh, but more than that, it actually delved really deep in a really exotic part of Japan, which isn't exotic in terms of, you know, Eloha and, you know, shreds of, um, reds of flowers and stuff like that, super exotic plants or, um, I don't know, tropical, whatever. It's exotic in the fact that, uh, people do not know much about Shimane Prefecture, which is the setting of the game. It's a very peripheric, uh, kind of countryside-ish area of Japan that has very, a very set imagery that is very different from Tokyo, which is a little bit more visible. Uh, so that's super exotic for many. And people really loved the idea of being immersed in this realistic 
depiction of a place that they did not they knew nothing about so the exotic in here was not in the fact that it was science fiction or uh or fantasy it was very grounded in reality indeed but it was in the fact that it shown them an area of the world that they are not familiar with so this is one of the things that many actually especially many that do um localization miss because you see a lot of people that say oh people will enjoy the game more if uh, uh look at we localize it so much that we hide as much as possible elements of japanese culture like just think about um think about ace attorney for instance in which they completely erased the japanese culture from the game they they actually made it not set in japan anymore and that was a big loss in value for the game because the game became simply a funny visual novel set in the US. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't very cool anymore. Uh, if it was set in Japan, retaining the Japanese core elements, it would have been not only a funny visual novel or a funny adventure game because it's a kind of a half and half between what the Japanese game people, what Japanese people call adventure game, which is a visual novel with adventure elements. Uh, but it would have been also exotic. So it would have been much more enjoyable for many. Uh, so this part of Japanese games is certainly a cool element. Uh, Japan actually had, the Japanese government actually had a campaign that was called Cool Japan. Uh, I don't know if it's still running, but I know it, it was running the first time I went to Japan. And that campaign actually showcased all the things that made Japan cool to a Western audience. It was samurai movies, it was uh, manga, anime, Japanese video games, and all the cultural aspects of Japan, so the temples, the architecture, the science, the technology. So, and all these things are not familiar to a Western audience. And they are, and if you put them together in a game, they definitely form a melting pot of things that will, at the very least, pique your curiosity. So the fashion, the, the charm of exotic is definitely a big part of why Japanese games are cool with people that love Japanese games, of course, uh, and and also with other people. Uh, I've seen a lot of people that, especially lately, have become more open to Japanese games when they have been kind of exposed to them. Because a lot of Japanese games kind of have a stigma amongst, among faster, faster Western games. People don't try them. But if you give them enough marketing, and if you actually give enough word of mouth as well, people will try them, and they actually notice, and notice a lot of people that before didn't really care about Japanese games, finally saying, oh my god, this Yakuza series is great. Oh my god, Nier Automata is awesome. I also want to play Nier. Or, oh my god, this uh, Persona, well, this is fantastic. I had no idea that this series was great. I know a lot of people that played Persona 5, and they were like so enchanted by it, and then they went to play Persona 4, or they went to play uh, the Shin Megami Tensei series. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, people that did not know that Japanese games were cool, and they when have been exposed to really good examples of Japanese games, they have opened themselves. And they're no, now fans as well. Or at, if they are not fans, they're at the very least uh, happy to uh, be open to playing more Japanese games. And it takes time. It's not just a matter of one Japanese game that normally makes people become weeboos. <laughs> uh, they make them... they slowly but gradually absorb them and i know a lot of people that before really weren't interested but now when there is like a new japanese games i know a lot of people that like played final fantasy 15 and liked it and now they want to play dark quest 11 i know a lot of people that uh that played persona 5 and now they want to play the new shin megami tensei 5 uh or v i actually don't know if it's name Shin Megami Tensei 5 or V, the new Switch one that's coming out. Or I know people that played um, 
that played like uh, some new Japanese games and now they want to play they they went to they went into the switch and they want to play and they played like uh, the the new fire emblem uh warriors game for instance and now they're interested in new fire emblem games that are coming out uh for the switch the, the strategy one uh there there is a lot on, there is this process of gradually becoming cool for people that didn't really consider it cool before but of course there is a lot of people for which japanese games are always been cool and uh i'm of course one of them but there are many uh, and there are people for which japanese games were cool during their earlier Eight um, years, and then they've kind of declined, like the, the Japanese gaming industry, and now they're coming back. So they're, they're becoming cool again. But there isn't just the exotic element that makes Japanese cool and games cool. There is also a few other cultural elements that makes Japanese games cool. For instance, one of the things that makes Japan, uh, sets Japan apart, it's, it's society. Japanese society is very much a regimented, regular, rule-abiding society. If you go to Japan and you jump on a train, you will never see anyone raising his voice. And if you see someone raising his voice, that person is a Westerner, is someone from the West. I guarantee you that. Uh, if you go to a Japanese train station... Um, you go to the escal- you go to the escalators and you will notice that uh, everyone is absolutely lined up on the left side unless you're in Osaka because in Osaka or in Kansai you line up on the right side that's just a quirk <laughs> but uh, people are always lined up on the correct side because the Japanese society and this is just of course just two examples Japanese society is extremely rule abiding which means that Japanese games, as all games, they are escapism. So while uh, Western games escape, bring you to escape to from from other elements in uh, Western society, Japanese games uh, have an element of escapism from the rule-abiding um, nature of Japanese society, uh, which, for instance, is one reason why most Japanese protagonists are rebels. <laughs> they go against the rules of society. But that's just a super, just, just one aspect of that. Um, for instance, Japanese games tend to be more over the top. Uh, when you play a Japan, a Western RPG, uh, yeah, you can throw a fireball, uh, to people. Um, you can, like, uh, Hit them with shorts, and that's pretty much all that's gonna happen. If you if you look at a, West, a Japanese RPG, they will summon enormous monsters of fire that will rain down hell on the enemies, or they will like jump jump up into the air and do like nine sl- nine super fast slash like omni slash uh, on the and their enemy. They're super cool and not realistic. Like they they. St- to stay away from realism because they that's their way of steering clear of rules one of the rule one of the categories of rules japanese games tend to steer clear of are the rules of realism the rules the simple rules of physics makes sense uh and if you look at final fantasy 15 which is the um last game of the final fantasy series almost nothing they do during a fight is realistic. Like the way they fight is absolutely bonkers. They're more, they're crazier than the craziest, uh, Chinese martial arts, um, film in which they fly over bamboos. So yeah, that, that's, that's one of the things that makes Japanese games cool because you can create cool with these completely irrealistic moves. But while they're not realistic, they still have is such a strong imagery that they don't come out as completely bonkers. So in the end, they are completely irrealistic. It's impossible that someone will do that in real life, but they're still cool. They're seen as uh, almost like a dance that makes the character look cool. Uh, this is also 
for instance, reflected into the fashion of you seeing Japanese games. Japanese people are very regimented and regulated, even in the way they dress. Since the the very beginning in uh, um, of of their career as in society, which is in school, uh, even if things are changing gradually nowadays. Uh, Japanese school, most Japanese schools have uniforms. And they start with uniforms when they are in elementary schools and they go all the way to, um, high, to the end of high school. And f- when they finally get out and have their own clothes at, in university, but then if, as soon as university finishes, actually before university finishes, when they start looking for a job, they go right back to the uniform, and their uniform is the typical salaryman suit, black suit, simple canvas, simple, simple, um, simple fabric, complete without patterns or anything, white shirt, black tie, and everyone is dressed like that when they go look for a job and they still haven't finished university. And then when they find a job and they get out of university, they will dress like that for the rest of their work life if they are working in an office, for instance. And if they're not working in an office, they work any kind of many other jobs. Uniforms are a lot more widespread than they are in the West. So uh, while Japanese society is so bent on having everyone dress in the same way, you will look at how Japanese protagonists in video games are um, dressed, and they are completely over the top, completely like full of belts, and people even make fun of the belts, uh, belt zippers and stuff, and visual elements that are striking. And this is not just games; it's also anime, it's also manga. Uh, the Japanese culture. Is so regimented and regulated that their that imagination and freedom is their escapism. So, while the Western gaming industry tends to uh, be gritty and realistic in many ways, of course, I'm talking in general, and there are many great examples of absolute fantastic imagination in the Western industry. But the Japanese gaming industry, <clears throat> sorry, is encouraged by its escapism feature, escapism function and uh, goal to push the imagination as far as it can away from realism, which is fantastic, which is something that really makes, really creates some super cool elements that people that are open, I mean, open-minded to a different culture, really latch on. Which is why, for instance, uh, Japanese media, including games, are so attractive for cosplayers. Uh, cosplayers tend to want to uh, completely plug out of reality when they create their clothes and their uniforms and their costumes. And Japanese media and games in particular, but also manga and anime, of course, are the perfect way to do that. Which is also why cosplay is so popular in Japan. Because Japanese people, they're always dressed the same way. Uh, why, and when they cosplay, that is another element of escapism. Of course, I'm not saying that all Japanese dress, dress the same way. It's just Japanese society that encourages and sometimes forces them to dress the same way. It's not like Japanese people have no fashion sense. Please don't think I'm saying that because if you go to Harajuku, you will notice, and not just to Harajuku, if you go to Tokyo, anywhere really, you will notice that Japanese people have fantastic fashion sense when they are allowed to express themselves. And it is also a matter of, uh, this is also fruit of the fact that their usual dress style is so, reg- is so regimented because when they're, when they finally can get out of that, they immediately will be imaginative. They will let all the imagination that they have repressed 
during their work life or their school life, they will immediately explode outside of of that and it will create something really creative. It's not like Japanese people don't have imagination. Japanese people have great imagination and it's and while society does not encourage it, the the fact that society does not encourage it actually pushes it to explode when they're able to, which happens in uh, fashion, which happens in uh, um, when they create manga, when they happen when they create anime, which happens when they cosplay, and which happens when they, when they become game developers and they create games. Japanese games are cool because they are really imaginative, because they are really creative in the way they do it, in the way they do things because they're escaping from a reality that pushes them towards an uncreative flattening of their personality and i'm not saying this as a disparaging of japanese culture it's simply a different culture and uh, it's a different culture that pushes them to express themselves in ways that are different from us are different from the Western culture. In Western cultures, people are encouraged to express themselves as much as possible in uh, their everyday life, at work, at school. Um, individuality is seen as a value. In Japanese game, in Japanese society, individuality is seen sometimes as a liability. Teamwork is seen more as a value. Uh, being the same as others, being part of a team part of a whole is seen as value so japanese games which are escapism are more uh, they further values that are in escape from this society so individualism creativity imagination are all, all out of whack completely off the scale there is no limit and there is also another thing that also makes also, like, pushes this. Japanese society uh, has been always, since its very beginning, very much open to gaming, to escapism. Since you are so regimented and so regulated during your everyday life, escapism is a very widespread way to escape games, uh, anime, manga. They're very widespread and socially accepted ways to escape reality uh i hear sometimes a misconception that says that otakus are like uh, despised by other japanese for instance that's not true uh japanese are very non-judgmental of uh, other people's um inclinations hobbies uh ways to escape uh once you are in japanese society once you escape from your everyday life once you have fun you are it society kind of plugs off the judgment for instance like this i'm going a bit off a tangent but i'm sure you will understand what i mean uh Japanese workers, salarymen, are very abiding to rules, as I mentioned. But when it comes to be Friday and Saturday night, they go out to, to, to play. They say that we go out to play. It's actually part Japanese language. The expression they use is let's go out to play. Uh, but they go out to get wasted, basically. <laughs> um, so what they do is they actually go out with their co-workers, with their friends, or even with their bosses, to completely unplug and completely remove a lot of their social um, of their social standards, a lot of their social rules, and they and, and you see people and you see salarymen in in tie and suits on a Friday night sleeping on the floor of the train or on the corner of the road because they completely got wasted or you see them like you see the, the boss and his is uh, underlings uh in the road singing a traditional japanese song like really loudly when they're totally drunk uh and 
in the morning on the like if if something like that happened in the west uh on monday morning something happened to you like you got it totally wasted in front of your boss just imagine these scenarios you get completely wasted in front of your boss or your boss or your teachers at school or or or, or even your friends you go back in the in um in well maybe friends a little less but think about the boss you go back at work on the, on monday and you're absolutely 100% embarrassed everyone looks at you there is complete silence in the room awkward silence and you probably know that you've lost some respect from your boss and from some from your coworkers uh in japan you go and have fun on Saturday or Friday night, you get completely wasted. Your boss gets completely wasted in front of you. You tell your boss stuff that you would not dare tell him during your your usual workday. Your boss tells you stuff that he would never tell you during your usual workday. And in, on Monday morning, everything is fine. No one would ever bring that up. No one would ever blame you. And you're absolutely fine. Your boss tells you, but it talks to you about work stuff. Everything is fine. Because that's when Japanese people have fun, they completely unplug and they complete, they, they know how to have fun. Actually, I have, um, personally, I go to Japan quite a bit, as you know. And when I am in Japan, I actually go out a lot more in, uh, in the evening. And I have a lot more fun when I go out in the evening because people completely unplug. The social restrictions are gone and people don't really care if you're a bit of a jerk or, a bit, of course, I'm not going to be a jerk like a certain YouTubers that get to be really jerks in Japan. Uh, but, you know, uh, people get to enjoy themselves with as a lot less social inhibitions when they are uh, when they completely unplug. And that applies to games as well. They completely unplug from their social rules. So, and they don't, they do not judge how other people have fun. Example, uh, this is actually related to directly to games. Uh, in the West, uh, well, there isn't many, um, there isn't a big idea, uh, there isn't a big market for erotic or adult games in the West. Uh, but let's talk about porn, for instance. Like, let's make it a comparison with porn. People in the West, when they enter a shop when, where there is like a, uh, a shop uh, that sells uh, like porn movies, they will be embarrassed. They will try to hide it. They will try not to tell their friends. They will try to avoid to be noticed when they enter, when they go in and in the shop and they purchase whatever they need. And uh, when they go to the cashier, they will kind of be embarrassed and hope that they, uh, that they, that the person, the clerk at the, at the cashier will not talk to them. Will They just want to pay and go out and run away. Uh, in, in Japanese games, if in the Japanese gaming industry, if you go to a, um, to a shop, for instance, in Akihabara, in which they sell erotic games, adult games. Aside from the fact that, like, the whole floor of PC games, PC games, if you see PC games in Japan, you would like a, a sign saying that the shop sells PC games. They will mean mostly erotic and adult games because that's what most Japanese PC games are. Like, if you go to a Japanese shop and you want to buy Skyrim, you will have to go to to a sh for PC. I mean, unless you go you buy it on Steam, you will have to go to a floor, separate floor, and uh, on on the gaming shop, which is clearly labeled only for eighteen years old plus, and you will find Skyrim right in the middle of a big assortment of uh, Japanese erotic games. Uh, even if Skyrim is not an erotic game, but it's on the same place, right in the middle of those, because but and. If you go there, you will see absolutely no embarrassment. 
you will see absolutely people enter these kind of shops and they go shop, they go buy whatever they need and they have absolutely no issue. You see women in, uh, in those shops do, buying their own, their own games, uh, and they're absolutely not embarrassed nor they should be. And you see anyone really. Uh, salary men in their suit and jacket and tie. You will see otakus. You will see women. You will see men. You will see, uh, young, old, of course, young, but 18 plus, uh, old, anyone. It's, and they will look at you in the eye as much as Japanese looks at you in the eye. Um, which is something they don't do much, but they will have absolutely no embarrassment about buying it a game with sexual content in it. and that's the same if you if you look at normal japanese games like any any kind of japanese games they have a content that would probably embarrass a lot of western developers uh, but they are not embarrassed because they, there is there isn't this idea in japan that you should judge other people for how they have fun so and this means that the japanese uh, games have the ability to expand and uh, and portray teams that Western developers would not uh, would not do would simply not have the the guts or the courage or or would feel allowed to do because they would feel embarrassed. Not all Western developers are like that. Again, I'm not making a an example of, I'm not saying that all Japanese developers are one way and all Western developers are one another way, but Japanese developers feel that they can explore fields that Western developers have more troubles exploring because uh, there is less judgment in Japanese society for how people have fun. There is a lot of judgment in Japanese society. Japanese society is super judgmental on how people perform at work, for instance. But on how people have fun, there is very little judgment and a lot less than in Western society. So that's also a contributing factor to the fact that Japanese games are cool. Japanese games are cool because they're very creative, because they're Japanese people don't get to be as creative a lot of times during the real life. They're very creative. They're very quirky. They're very, they, they, they are less judgmental. They are more, they explore without feeling constricted too much by society and by reality. So they, they have, they don't care too much if something is realistic or not. And, oh, and of course, also because of the, um, of the exotic factor, which is also always a big factor. Of course, this is a factor that is more, that influences more Japan, uh, Western, um, Western, uh, gamers. Because of course, Japanese gamers are not influenced by exotic factor Japanese games because they're not exotic for them. For Japanese gamers, it's actually more exotic to play Western games. And this is one thing that I will talk about it in another episode because completely different things. I actually think that, for instance, one of the ways Xbox could take back a little bit of success in Japan would be to push the exotic factor in Japan because Xbox and the game it, it, it um, focuses on are exotic in Japan. But Microsoft did not do that yet. But anyway, this is completely, completely off the tangent. So we'll get there because sooner or later, I'm actually going to have an article on how the rumored Xbox Scarlet could be successful in Japan. It will be, it will be very difficult. That's for sure. But I, I, I've actually been like munching on this topic for a while. So I will write about it or it will be, it will be a topic for an Xbox uh, podcast. We'll see. Anyway, this is pretty much it. This is some of the many reasons why I think Japanese games are cool, at least to those people that are open-minded enough to try them. Uh, beyond that, let's move on to um, let's move on to the news, since uh, we are well into the forty minutes of our podcast. So let's quickly look at the news of the week. So, as I say, Valkyria Chronicles 4 got its free demo on PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. Unfortunately, no demo for PC. Sorry, 
PC gamers. Uh, but the game is good. So if you want to get the game on PC, get it. Uh, the first Valkyria Chronicles was very good on PC and was very well optimized. So I would not have any trouble uh, getting the game for PC. So the world ends with the EU final remix for Nintendo Switch will be releasing on October 12th in the West. So finally, we're finally getting to play The World Ends With You again on the Switch with very nicely remastered graphics. So that's one game to look at and to keep track of. Uh, we got PC, speaking of Arcade Chronicles 4 again, uh, we got PC system requirements uh, and it will support 4K and ultra wide screen monitors. So the PC, the minimal requirements are pretty good, are pretty forgiving. The only thing it will take 71 gigabytes of hard disk space. That's a lot. Uh, that tells me that probably it's going to have high resolution textures, which would probably make it, the game look a lot better. I hope so. Uh, we haven't gotten a look at the PC version of the game just yet. The screenshots that are on the, um, on Steam, I suspect they are from the PS4 version still. I'm not sure, but I suspect. Uh, Square Enix announced weaker financial results due to lack of releases in, on console uh, and underperforming mobile. So their mobile game from last year have been, have been underperforming, so their financial results weren't that great. While they haven't had new mobile games, so they haven't had that much from that aspect as well. That said, catalog games, so games from previous quarters, were still selling well. And I'm guessing one of those is definitely near Automata, which has been almost single-handedly pushing Square Enix results for a while now, uh, which is one of the games in Japan that are really cool. Then, uh, The Liar Prince and the Blind Prince uh, getting Western release announced by uh, by Nice America for PS4 and Switch. It's going to come in uh, 2019. Very nice little uh, puzzle platformer with very quirky, cute... Um, fairy tale team and the graphics I'm gonna come for ps4 and switch losing unfortunately the ps vita version but i would guess that was uh written on the wall by now uh the langrisser series is getting a restart uh there is going to be a reveal uh towards like in a in a few days how many days from now let me see the countdown the reveal is going to be in 10 days from now it's going to be 9 tomorrow when you actually watch this, this podcast uh, the Grist series if you're not familiar with it is a kind of popular um, strategy RPG series that was great I absolutely loved it started on Mega Drive a lot of time ago, 1991, I believe, and uh, the earlier game had the uh, character design by Satoshi Urushiara, which is absolutely fantastic. I don't know if this new Resurrection Restart is going to have the same character design, but I sure hope so. Then, Punchline uh, for PS4, PS Vita, and PC will be released in the West on August 25 in North America, and on August 31st on PS, uh, on sorry, in in Europe. Uh, and this is a game from an anime, uh, very quirky, bit and tie, <laughs> and it's a visual novel, very cute, uh, by P Cube, uh, brought the West by P Cube. Give it a look if you like if you like visual novels. Warriors Orochi 4 got the reveal of new characters. The last three playable cards was Perseus, Ares, and Odin, and we got. Trailers, images, whatever you want. You can go check it out in on the site. Uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Uh, we got a 900 bucks uh, limited edition, actually premium edition with a keyboard. It's actually a personalized version of the Quirky, Quirky Writer by Quirky Toys, which costs... 2050, $250, $300, and this limited edition that is just that more has cost like 900 bucks, so that's kind of weird. But, Japan! Uh, okay. <laughs> then, uh, uh, we got new 
gameplay for Disaster Report for Plus Summer Memories. And the more, the more important thing is that there is going to be a demo on Japanese PlayStation Store on Nago 16. There is actually gameplay of that demo, which seems to be very extensive, uh, on the site. So you can go check it out. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Gramblo Fantasy. Uh, is having its Love Live Sunshine event. So if you like the Love Live series, it's very nice. It actually gives you three SSR characters if you can grind for two of them. One of them you get them just by doing the first mission. Uh, and then there is going, there is like a free 10, 10 uh, draw gacha, uh, for another 10 days. So that's a, this is a very good time to start playing the game if you want to play the game because this is going to help, uh, new buyers a lot. Until uh, August 21st is the event, and until August 23rd is the free gacha. So if you're interested in Glamour Fantasy, check our guide and get it, give us give it a start. Uh, then, uh, just today, it announced that Sword and Online Re-Holo Fragment is going to get, finally, a release for PC on Steam on August 21st. Actually, the game was released as a pre-ordered bonus for uh, Sword Art Online Fatal, Fatal Ballad, so everyone thought that it would be released for PC on its own immediately, or just after, but that was like at the beginning of this year, and now finally we're getting it, so that's good if you like that game. It was one of the first PS Vita and then PS4 Sword Art Online game. It's actually pretty decent. I actually enjoyed it, so give it a try. Um... <laughs> Persona 5 Dancing in Starlight and Persona 3 Dancing in Moonlight got a release date. At last we know that it's coming out on December 4th, so it's going to be a good holiday pair of games. There is also a bundle that costs $59.99, sorry, $69.99 for the Vita and $99.99 for the PS4. It includes bots games and is a bonus the PS, the, the a digital copy of Persona 4 Dancing All Night, which means that this is the only way you have if you want Persona 4 Dancing All Night on PS4. And they say it's not going to be sold separately, which is crazy for me. Why not? But that's what they say. So, uh, eh. Uh, Square Enix The Quiet Man showed the first gameplay. It looks a mid between, in the middle between a brawler Superhero powered blower, like the Heroes, Hero series, and they, or the Crow, actually. That's kind of something I also, I think, kind of inspired it. And, uh, um, Detroit Become Human. So it's mid between the cinematic games and the brawler. And uh, I know, I honestly am not sure about this game. So you, you can watch it on your own and draw your own conclusions. Um, but it's, it, it's made by Square Enix internal team, which many people thought it was kind of an indie team or a, an external team like, uh, like Dontnod, for instance, that was hired for, by Square Enix for doing the game of Square Enix for just publishing, but it's actually done by an internal team at Square Enix. Then, uh, God Eater 3 got a new character, which is actually a rival character. Uh, her name is Lulu. Uh, Lulu Balan, she comes with a different port as the protagonist, and she's pretty nice. We actually just saw it her on Family 2 so far, uh, but she's actually interesting. So uh, God Eater 3 is shaping up really nicely. We still don't have a release date. Um, then, Mega Dimension Neptunia uh, V2R, I think that's the way you pronounce the name, um, will get a PS APC released. APC release, uh, I believe that is this fall. So there is no release date yet, but it's coming this fall on PC via Steam. Lastly, this morning, which is yesterday for you, uh, we had, in, well, they had in Japan, uh, Summer Comic It. And it was an interesting dojin game, which just means an independent game made by fans. Uh, for the Cyber Formula anime series. First of all, from the OAV, OVA series Cyber Formula Sin. And this game is, is a title, uh, Future GPX uh, Cyber Formula Sin, uh, Vire, Veer. And that's a very interesting racing game for PC, uh, with support for, uh, Oculus Rift and HTC Vive, but VR is not mandatory. 
There is some pictures and some gameplay on the site, and I really hope this some way comes west because it's very interesting. And I really love the Cyber Formula series. And this team has been doing dojin game for the Cyber Formula series for a long while, until since uh, 2003. So they are very experienced. Uh, of course, the game is made with not too many resources, but it looks a super fast, super interesting research that I'm really looking forward to try somehow. I think I'm going, when I go to Japan for Tokyo Game Show, I'm going to try and grab a copy because I want to try it. And this is it for the news. This is it for today's episode. As usual, um, if you like the episode, please put a thumbs down, thumbs up in on YouTube. Uh, please put a thumbs down if you didn't like it. Uh, possibly give us comments especially on the site, tell us what's wrong, what's good, what you like, what you don't like, what you would like more, what you like less of. Uh, if you would like less of me, that's fine. Um, and if you have suggestions and, as, and even for teams for further episodes, so let us know. Uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being faithful and loyal <laughs> customers. Not really. Uh, Faithful and loyal listeners, I really appreciate every single one of us that, uh, every single one of you that listens to this podcast, which is definitely niche every uh, week, besides the weeks in which I can't do it. <laughs> so thank you very much, and thank you for listening, and bye-bye.